Welcome to Christian Curious with Dr. Haley Scott of Denver Seminary. What are the challenges we face in today's church and culture in a postmodern, post-Christian era? Dr. Haley believes that in addressing those issues, the church must adopt a missional mindset. Christianity does hold the answers to the big questions of today's culture. Let's join Dr. Haley for today's edition of Christian Curious. In 1966, The Who released the song, The Kids Are All Right, in their album, My Generation. Since then, those four words have rippled out through culture, sparking cover songs, television, episodes, and movies. But for me, as a researcher who works closely with young adults and as a mom, these words can be haunting, especially in today's unsettled climate. Will the kids be all right? This is Christian Curious with Dr. Haley Grace Scott and Hannah Greaser. Lately, we've been discussing the uh, political and civil unrest in our culture. We've looked at it from a philosophical standpoint, religious spiritual formation standpoint. And today I want to take a look at the the impact this has on different generations. You know, Hannah, just yesterday I was talking to my 88-year-old nanny and she has always been so solid and stable. I mean, she lived through, you know, the World War II, the Great Depression, and she's just so stable. But she said, you know, I'm, I just worry about my great grandkids and I kind of worry that they're going to, to um, inherit. And so as a young adult, I'm just curious about you and what might be in your future and what worries you might have about the future and future kids. I don't know what your plans are in that regard. <laughs> uh, in a long time, hopefully. But I, I do think it's funny that your nanny who lived through very tumultuous times is still looking to the present and being like, I'm you know, kind of worried for my great grandkids. Absolutely, yeah. Because um, I, I guess there is a tendency for us to worry about those who come after us. I think maybe mine has a little naivety because I, I don't have kids yet. I'm 23 and I, I do think about how their world will be way different than mine probably and they'll be way more technologically savvy than I. Um, but I, I think there is just not being exposed to those problems or motherhood yet where I am just kind of holding the God card of like, well, God is on the throne so they'll be okay. <laughs> you right. Know? <laughs> yes. Well, today with us in the studio to talk about the impact of current events on different generations is um, my friend and generation expert, Dr. Betsy Wagner. Dr. Betsy Nesbitt Wagner has spent nearly 10 years researching, consulting, speaking, and writing on the topic of generational differences as components of culture. As a cusper, Betsy bridges the millennial and Xer gap, passionately bringing voice and vision to what it means to engage each generation in its own culture. She has co-authored a book on the topic with Dr. Craig Blomberg titled Effective Generational Ministry, which is a great book. I highly recommend it. Um, Betsy maintains a counseling and consulting practice in Littleton, Colorado, and in her consulting work, Betsy works with different organizations, churches, and corporations across the country on topics of generational differences, identity development, and authentic living. She has also co-authored a counseling skills textbook titled Skills for Effective Counseling with Drs. Heather and Fred Gingrich. Dr. Wagner, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. I'm happy to be here. So, Dr. Wagner, I want to go back to um, 
you know, the book we said you co-authored, Effective Generational Ministry, because we know, you know, you specialize in that subject. But as someone who is kind of even new to hearing that word, I'm interested in hearing what exactly generational studies are and how you first became interested in this field. Sure. Great question. Um, I'll start with my interest in it. Uh, I see it about, man, it was back in probably 2004. I was a student at Denver Seminary studying counseling, and I was taking Bible and theology classes as part of my curriculum. And I, um, I'd grown up in the church. I'd grown up with parents who were very theologically astute, and we had a lot of theological conversations in our home growing up. Um, but I was sitting in this class, and I remember thinking, why is it that this class is going to help me have a more productive and more effective conversation with my parents, but it's not going to help me as I try to engage my peers on topics of theology? Hmm. And, um, and I just, that question just kind of filed away for me. It, it wasn't a criticism of my instructors or the curriculum. It was just a thing I was aware of that I had to do translation work. Hmm. Um, in, in order to bring some of these topics into a conversation that felt relevant to peers, even Christian peers. Um, and at that time, there's a lot of discussion about modernism versus postmodernism. And so I was wondering, well, maybe that's it. I was like, that's not quite right. Maybe that has something to do with it. But that doesn't feel like it answers my question. Um, and so, like I said, I just, I just filed it away. And then a few years later, I was in my Ph.D. program at the University of Arkansas um, studying counselor education and supervision, and I needed a dissertation topic that had relevance to the field of counseling. And this was this question that kept coming back to me. of like, I want, like, I care about counseling, but I care about the church, and I care about theology and how bad theology creates bad mental health. And so is there some aspect of this question that I had years before in, in seminary that could be relevant to the research I needed and wanted to do for my dissertation. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the field of counseling, culture and multiculturalism is really important to us. And so I started asking the question of, I wonder if this is a question of culture. Um, I've lived overseas twice um, in that since then and um, had recognized that um, as, as many missionaries do, that, that when you go into another culture, the gospel doesn't change, but how you present the gospel may, because you're drawing off of different aspects of that people group's story and history and values. And so I wondered if we could look at the uh, at generations of separate cultures. And this was about 2006. And about that time, um, most of the generational studies, the, the articles, the, the stuff that was coming out about generations, wasn't, there wasn't a lot of empirical research. It was honestly a bunch of baby boomers whining about the millennials they just hired <laughs> and not sure what to do with them. And so I thought, well, what if, what if my contribution to this field is to say, can we look at different generations as separate cultures? Do they have a distinct enough values, beliefs, and worldview to not just be older and younger versions of the same culture, but to have their own distinct cultural um, framework to them. And, and that what, was the research I did. What would be the difference between, you know, being just 
one more as you said what was it the just one more another version of the same generation Mm -hmm. versus an entirely different cultural framework what's the difference between that yeah so um if you look up the definition of culture you will find as many definitions as you find people writing on it Mm -hmm. um kind of like leadership yeah (laughs) yeah So, but there are some common threads, and the common threads have to do with shared history, shared values, shared beliefs, and shared worldview. Um, and so, in the United States, we can say we have an American culture um, broadly that we have a shared history, we have shared values, we have shared beliefs, we have shared worldview. But we also have subcultures within that, whether it's based off of socioeconomic status, race, gender, generation. Um, and so generation really fits in this phase of we are still like in this case we're still Americans all together and so there is some commonality that we share but there is also enough distinction in how we um, approach some of those values beliefs and worldviews that can cause conflict from one generation to another because they are different yeah Um, and so that you know as as much as this has been my (laughs) my foray of where I've been, like, I, I will not be the person that says, oh, my gosh, boomers are so different from Gen Xers, and they're completely separate. It's like, no, 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 we're still Americans, or Northern Americans held together. There are some common pieces. But when we assume we're all the same, and we miss how we bring a distinct lens or perspective, that's when we have conflict. And that's when we can miss out on the ways that each group contributes to the body of Christ and to society in a different way. Yeah, or how each group experiences um, major current events in different ways. Exactly. Um, You know, for my generation, before we get into the younger millennials and the uh, Generation Z, I mean, the forgotten generation, which is Generation X, my my generation, Um, we've uh, we've <laughs> we've always been kind of angsty. I mean, we've we were the latchkey kids, but growing up in the eighties and the nineties, you know, I remember on the night of September eleventh, two thousand one, sitting outside on my balcony and just crying because I knew that the world was never going to be the same again, and I think that. You know, growing up in the 80s and the 90s where everything was pretty peaceful, um, relatively so. I mean, sure, we did have the Gulf War and there was some instability, but nothing like what we see today. And Mm -hmm. I wonder what your perspective is on people who grew up in the 80s and 90s and how they may or may not be equipped to um, understand and cope with what's happening today just because of where they were developmentally in that in the 80s and the 90s yeah there's um so within my my professional identity is as a as a counselor and a counselor educator and within counseling and psychology there's a concept of resilience of of how do we what what contributes to one individual's ability to push through and rise above and seem relatively unfazed by something while somebody else can be devastated by it Mm -hmm. um and one of the things that we found in resiliency studies is that they look at is someone, is someone who has experienced a lot of trauma, a lot of difficulties, a lot of hardships, are they more or less resilient than somebody who's had none? Hmm. 
or vice versa. If somebody who's grown up protected, well-loved, well-cared for, are they more resilient than somebody who's had trauma? And interesting, what we find is that it's more like a bell curve, that those who have been the most protected and the most traumatized on the, those ends of the bell curve, they're actually the least resilient. It's those that have had just enough to stretch them, challenge them, while in the safety of, of, of some stability, um, that it, it's one of those, like, it, it's a Goldilocks piece that yes. needs to be not too much, but not too little. Um, and so what we find, and I, I actually was talking with a, a client about this um, when, I, when um, COVID really hit, is that she fits this demographic that we're talking about, and and, we're saying, and that's just talking through, like, you grew up in a bubble, and and that's not your fault, and there's not judgment in that, but part of what's making this so difficult is that the world had been really safe and really secure and really protected, and hardships happened to other people in other countries, not to you. And so now this hardship has happened to you and in terms of illness or uh, financial instability or just watching the world go be chaotic. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so that those of us that, that grew up in the 80s and the 90s with relative security, relative peace in the world around us, in the world that we knew, you know, there, there's obviously chaos in other parts of the world, but when you're a child and you're in your teens, you're not developmentally really attuned to what's happening in Africa unless it directly pertains to you. You're, you're building your worldview based off of what has direct contact with your life. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think there's, you know, obviously there's, there's individuals who grew up in the 80s and 90s in poverty and abuse in, um, in, in different spaces that, that did create hardship for them and did build some of those resiliency muscles. And so they're walking through this going, well, been here, maybe not exactly like this, but right. I, got, I got some strength in this. So I'm okay. Um, but that's not true for everybody. That is, you know, the bell curve concept is, is super fascinating that okay. the very most traumatized and the very most protected are the ones who are least resilient. Mm-hmm. I'm going to yeah. remember that. That is super yeah. fascinating. And hopefully through those on the other ends of the bell car- curve being less resilient, going through something hard, they can find themselves in the middle of the bell cu- curve with some kind of, you know, work and experience. And so my question is with how do you think older generations such as boomers or ex- Xers, is that how you say it? Xers? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, learn to understand and cope with instability or, you know, just in general, um, when our upbringing hasn't prepared us for trauma, how can we um, live well <laughs> in the world today? Um, so <laughs> I, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna get on a little soapbox. Um, Haley knows I, I have many, <laughs> but I'll, you I'll try to rate it in a little bit. Um, one of the things is honestly how we use the word trauma. Um, that clinically, trauma isn't actually like there, there's actually a definition for trauma, but culturally, we use it to to refer to anything that is painful, difficult, or upsetting to us, hmm. and that's not trauma. Um, trauma has to fundamentally upset your sense of self and your uh, sense of self in the world. And so, for some people, what's happened through 
um, the pandemic and the last year, year and a half is traumatic. Their sense of self in the world has absolutely been disrupted. For others, it's been inconvenient. It's been uncomfortable. Um, it's been upsetting and it's asked them to uh, sacrifice or compromise or do, do life a little bit differently. Um, but I'm, I'm really protective of that word because when we use it too much, we actually demean or undermine um, the experience of those who truly have had trauma in them. Mm, right. Right. There's a term called habitual verbal promiscuity. And that, yeah. that's when you use a word so much for to cover so many different things that it ceases to mean anything. Huh. And I think right. that that is what happens with trauma. Um, yeah. I'm very protective of the word trauma, too, and the word trigger as well, because, yeah. you know, I think, Betsy, you and I have talked about this before when, um, you know, people that you know younger adults that I work with or even my own kids will use the word. Oh, my gosh, you just triggered me. And I just like go off like a pistol saying, do you know what that word actually means? Da, 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 you know? <laughs> so um, how, how do you think? So I don't think I actually answered Hannah's question, but we can keep going. <laughs> well, just, yeah. So when our upbringing didn't prepare us well for the world that we live in, how do we come to terms with that? Yeah. So I think one of the things is to recognize that, to kind of go, okay, I wasn't equipped for this, and that, and I, and, and I honestly think it's not helpful at that point to lay blame or to pass fault as like, oh my gosh, my family or my school or my church or whatever, they, they screwed me over. Nope. Look, most people did the best thing you had to do in, in helping raise you. Nobody set out to say, how do we screw this person over so they don't have resources when hard things happen? Like, that, that wasn't the intention. So there let's let's take it then from the perspective of going okay i'm the adult in this situation now so what do i need what do i need to learn how do i need to grow who are the people i can bring in as resources to mentor me in this to help facilitate this for me um that that do have this skill this ability this this resource and how do i put myself in a posture of learning and growing rather than a posture of paralyzation um, or blame and and that, you know, I was talking to somebody the other day where they they grew up and very protected. They had not been in, um, and, and they knew that, that they were like, our, our life is easy. It has always been easy. We like it easy. We continue to seek out easy. Um, and so part of our conversation was, how do you add challenge to your life? How do you add spaces that say, this makes me uncomfortable, but I am safe enough. And it will develop something in me that will will enable me to move forward as things continue to be hard. Um, because I think what happens is is we like to bury our head in the sand a little bit and go, well, if I just if I just bury my head for a little while, the storm will pass, and then I can come up again, and the world will be back to quote unquote normal. Right. Rather than taking a posture that says, what if this doesn't change? What if this is the long haul? And how do I need to start building the muscles, developing the resilience in order to not just survive this, but actually thrive through this? Um, but similar to any other type of workout, it's going to come with some muscle fatigue and it's going to come with some discomfort and it's going to come with pushing yourself to some limits. Um, 
and yeah. and recognizing that as growth and, and being okay with that discomfort. I think you just nailed the temptation of if you were to think of the temptation of older generations as is longing that longing and expectation of getting back to quote unquote normal um, mm-hmm. and an idea of normal that isn't really normal as we find out. Right. I mean, it was normal to us because we grew up in it, but it's not really a normal circumstance to, for the world to be human history. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, the world as it is today is the world as it always has been. And we just happen to grow up in a, in a pause. <laughs> of, yep. But, um, yep. you know, if you're thinking about how this pandemic and, you know, everything that's been happening in the last few years, um, just the instability, the civil unrest, how do you think that might affect um, young adults that are, you know, that they may just be getting out of college and they may just be, um, trying to getting married or trying to make plans for the future. How do you think that these events might impact them based on their development? I'm going to, I'm going to give you the really obnoxious counselor answer. And that's, it's a pin um, because generation is one factor, but so many of, there's so many other pieces of personality, um, personal background um, choices of how do we choose to move forward. Um, I think when you look at the difference between boomers and millennials, we'll continue to ignore us as actors just for a second, <laughs> but <laughs> boomers and, and, and millennials, just because the contrast is, is bigger. Um, boomers grew up with a history or at least a lived understanding of what hard was like for the people that had gone before them. They came after World War II, but they had parents who had survived World War II. They had parents and grandparents who had survived the Depression. And so their their distance from hard was much closer than a millennial or even an extra's distance from hard. Um, and so boomers also grew up with a cultural value around um, deferred gratification, about um, le- needing less instant and immediate um gratification, fixing, turnover, where millennials and extras to some degree, the nature of 24-hour news cycle and technology has meant that we can see change really fast. And that works in certain domains, but it doesn't, it doesn't work on a societal level. Societies right. move slow. Culture moves slow. Um, organizations so move slow. Organizations move really slow, right. Um, and it doesn't mean they're not moving, and it doesn't mean the progress isn't good, but it, it means that our expectation of change needs to be put on a different timeline. Um, and so I think we'll see that um, we, we saw this with with COVID, where, um, especially at the beginning, it was millennials who were freaking out about their parents' exposure. And millennials who were saying, you've got to wear a mask and you've got to social distance. And it was the boomers going, yeah, I'm still going to racquetball. <laughs> and and their millennial kids being like, but you're over 65 and you've got a health condition. And, and, and boomers going, I've looked through other things. This, this, is the, this is the latest thing. I'll be fine. 
and not necessarily not caring or not taking precautions, but not being as fearful. And again, that's going to vary by individual and personal history and all of that. But context makes a really big difference for how people process new information and what they've been exposed to in the past, what they've survived in the past, or what they've been negatively impacted by in the past also comes into play. Um, I don't know if that answers your question, but I think those are some of the pieces of um, the, the context in which boomers have grown up in many ways gives them some greater resiliency um, and and an assumption like this the things that have happened in the last year, two years, four years are less shocking and surprising. Um, they may be disheartening, um, but they are they don't feel out of the norm for the human existence like they may for younger generations. Yeah. Hmm. I remember I remember speaking with a group of young adults and uh, they were complaining about these are gen- these were Generation Z and they were complaining about baby boomers and, you know, ab- about the financial stability that baby boomers had. And and I said, well, well, think about their parents. Who were their parents? And so they started reflecting on how they came through World War Two. And I said, well, what kind of world would people who came from World War Two want to provide for their kids? They said, well, they'd want to provide stability. And I said, that's what they provided for the baby boomers. And from that vantage point, you can start to understand, okay, their parents went through very difficult, very um, unstable times. And the thing that they wanted most for their kids was that that stability. And so they really did everything they could to sort of provide that stability, at least here in Western culture. Right. Um, Before we go, Dr. Wagner, I would love to hear, um, you know, the most important thing or things that parents or Christian leaders need to know about how to help their older children or young um, adults or young adults um, navigate these times. Oh, that's a big question. Yeah, Um, I know. (laughs) (laughs) I I think there's, there's two pieces. One is empathy carries a long way and empathy doesn't mean agreement. Um, Empathy simply means I hear that you feel blank because of blank. And starting from a position of empathy for one another, regardless of which generation, um, we can can heal and we can collaborate when we feel heard. And so um, simply starting from a point of empathy I think is important. I hear that you feel blank because of blank. Um, But I think the other thing from a faith standpoint that's really important is to draw people back to the history of God with his people. And that goes so far beyond our lived history. That goes back to Israel in the Old Testament and remembering the context of who our God is. And that we may not see reprieve from the pain or the difficulty that we experience in this life, but it doesn't mean that God is not with us and it doesn't mean that he is not good and that his mission and his purpose won't be accomplished. And so I think going back to when we are anxious, when we are fearful, it is often because our, we have lost context and perspective of who our God is. Hmm. And, and to, to not bring that up in a condescending or critical way, but in an invitation to those who are struggling to go, okay, hold up, let's, let's remember who our God is. 
And how did the believers who have gone before us navigate hard things? How did the believers get through World War II? How did they get through the Depression? How did they get through famine and disease in other centuries? And our situation may have some differences, but the human condition hasn't changed, and our God hasn't changed. And so can we go back to the cloud of witnesses that have gone before us and learn from them and and learn who they understood God to be and um, who we learn to, to see God to be through their experiences as well? Well, you know, I think that that is the the greatest piece of wisdom that that we've been learning as we, you know, tackle, you know, current events from various standpoints. It always comes back to remembering who God is, that Mm -hmm. God is good, that there is nothing new under the sun and that he's going to continue to be faithful as he has always been faithful. Um, Dr. Wagner, thank you so much for being with us today. Thanks for having me. This was wonderful. I appreciate the opportunity to chat with you all. Oh, it's so great to have you on the show. Um, Thank you, listeners, for listening to Christian Curious. To find out more about about us, log on to our new website at christiancurious.co to find links to our podcast and all our previous episodes. If you have any questions about God, Christianity, or anything in culture that you're interested in but have never really found an answer for, email us at Haley at ChristianCurious.co. That's H-A-L-E-E at ChristianCurious.co or Hannah at H-A-N-N-A-H at ChristianCurious.co. Stay curious. Thank you for listening to Christian Curious with Dr. Haley. You can contact her with your comments or questions about today's show at her email, drhaley at christiancurious.org. That's D-R-H-A-L-E-E at christiancurious.org. You may also learn more by visiting the Christian Curious website, christiancurious.org. Join Dr. Haley again next week for Christian Curious on AM 670 KLTT.